Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this episode of the podcast is with Shems Hartwell. Shems is a guide and facilitator who specializes in personal and relational empowerment. I have worked with Shems. I have a number of friends who have worked with Shems, and I highly recommend him. Uh, I hope that you know me well enough to know that my bullshit meter is well calibrated. And uh, Shems is the man. He offers really tactile advice that you can bring into your relationship and into your life. Um, And I also want to let you know that he has an eight-week powerhouse program for men starting February 21st through April 11th. So you can go to shemshartwell.com to check it out. Um, It really is, uh, it's fucking profound how quickly he laser focuses in on what the issue really is um and it's it's cool to be around someone who has done that kind of work so we're gonna get right into it but before we do i want to send a huge high five to mudwater for sponsoring this podcast mudwater is a chai mushroom blend that i drink every single day they have reishi cacao turmeric lion's mane all kinds of good stuff um and I mix it with Santa Cruz Medicinals CBD coconut oil in the morning. Um, Santa Cruz Medicinals also sponsors this podcast, and I just uh, recorded an episode with their founder, Brendan Rue, just one episode back. Um, So you can check that out. We dove into the world of CBD and all kinds of stuff. That dude is a wealth of knowledge. So thank you to both those companies. Um, They're ones that I really believe in and use their products every single day. This morning I did Santa Cruz Medicinals um, MCT oil, I did mud water, and I did the coconut oil. And I put a little splash of coffee in it, and I just got one of those uh, magic bullets that are fucking, they are magical. It's in the name. Um, It's not a hyperbole. Uh, And it just tastes so good. It's so good. That's my little morning ritual. Um, And I did it right after I did some therapy on my arm, uh, which is healing up. Today was the first day I was able to get into a pool and do some swimming. Um, I snapped my arm about a month ago and just being able to move it through the water and that little bit of tension on it felt really good. So I'm on the mend. I'm on the mend. And without further ado, fasten your seatbelts because we got Shem's Hartwell on the podcast. Enjoy. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. It's not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Okay, so here's where I want to start. So when I was younger, I wanted to be a pro surfer and I wanted to see the whole world. And I had this um, this preconceived notion that if I had a girlfriend, I wouldn't be able to see as much of the world and I wouldn't be able to learn as much about myself. I was like, how can you, you know, how can I give myself to someone else if I don't actually know myself very well? And lately, I've been th- been reflecting on that because I don't know that it was actually 
true because I've been in a relationship now for coming up on five years here and I feel like I've learned way more about myself through working with this other person and we've you know our relationship has morphed and changed and grown and deepened but uh I was wondering if you think that that is it's is that a true belief because I think that it's something that a lot of people carry around with them great question i think they're both true right. we learn a lot on our own and and need that at times for our own development and following our impulses and learning and then we learn a huge amount through relationship and and there's a maturing process because if we are young and we're a, let's just say we're a young buck going out into the world it can be better to not, to not be in relationship doing that because we might just have a bunch of drama and conflict and challenges and feel like weighted down or limited to what we can do and as we get a little older, after we've had more experiences and we've matured in our ability to relate well and communicate well, it becomes more rich to travel. Like I just spent, you know, I just got married in August and spent five and a half months traveling all over Europe and Africa. And I'm freshly back from that. And I had time alone, too, because she went and led a retreat in Egypt. However, the time with us together, flowing together and following our own was so rich. Right. To have my beloved and the intimacy and the connection and the, the learning about each other and ourselves while we're traveling was very rich. Yeah, I think that it's, uh, I, I found just in the trips that I go on now as I have a girlfriend, like it really li lights the fire again in a cool way. And I think that it can also, especially going out on trips, um, like I was just on a hunting trip with only men. Mm. Like there's definitely a different frequency that you can tap into. And, and um, you know, the word of the, it seems like the word of the past couple of years has been like gaslighting where you don't know if, I guess the definition of that is like your partner makes you feel like you're doing something that you're not, that you don't feel like you're really doing. Uh, is that maybe the, the best definition of it? Or I, I think you... of it too as you're not really following what you most want to do and maybe you're settling right. with what they want to do and then you lose a little bit of your passion and fire. Like I had that on the trip. I wanted to surf more and I right. didn't surf as much as I would have liked to because I was co-creating with my wife and my partner instead of like following my most strong impulses. And right. I can complain a lot. Right. If, well, if I, I think that. it's important to like having time on your own is important for that because then your priorities can come they can rise to the top, especially when you're not distracted by other shit. Like if you just have some time by yourself, it's amazing how much those priorities kind of like rise up from the bottom very quickly. Absolutely. You know, the, the real conversation about this is how do we dance between individuality, autonomy, sovereignty, following our impulses, not losing our fire and our passion and stay in a strong, authentic, deep relationship with our partner and know when we've kind of merged too much and had too much time together and all of a sudden we're running a little bit more on static and irritation and not neither one of us being on our full yes and learning to read that. Like right now I need a vision quest. I need to go out and go for a mission on my own hunting because I need to recharge myself and get a little bit more into my wild. And a lot of, a lot of us kind of feel like there's these obligations and stories we make about how we should be in relationship that interrupt us trusting our own knowing. You know, and your first question was, you know, I had this sense or this knowing that I need to just go on my own and not be in a relationship and travel the world. And I think that's a really good sense. Yeah. yeah I was uh, watching this, this new Netflix show with uh, this woman, Marie Kondo. Do you know who she is? Mm -mm. So it's, uh, I think it's called Tidying Up. So she's this, oh, this Japanese woman. My wife she, just shared her Instagram with me. Huge, right? <laughs> huge amongst the ladies. So uh, she goes into 
couple's homes and she helps them tidy up. And she has all these very cool philosophies around like you keep the article of clothing if you look at it and it brings you joy. Um, and you don't if it doesn't. Um, and I think that, you know, a, a lot of what was uh, a lot of what was conveyed in that show is that couples get so cluttered that they can't be at their best around each other. And I think that if you don't really fend that clutter off, it can get in the way of what the relationship is all about. Absolutely. And a lot of times we'll blame that on the house clutter. But really, the clutter is all the unspoken things and like basically the rub not, rug not being swept under. Right. I felt like, like it was a great metaphor. Exactly. Yeah. And, it, and it's true. It's like you can fold all the shirts better so you see them and all that and it's all good and things are organized. But there's often these conversations happening between us or in our own heads about one another. That's what I, what's creating psychic pollution in the relationship. And if we don't have some vehicle to, to clear that stuff, not to go and out it, and, but necessarily to move through it so we, we check it and get it out of our heads. That stuff is, is true. It builds up where people feel like they start to just overall feel uncomfortable all the time around their partner and there's no sexual energy. They're just kind of irritable at each other. You see it with the old couple, you know, have fold, like fighting over folding the napkins at the restaurant and they're 70 years old and they're kind of hunched over and they're, they're cranky about there being enough ice in their cup or not or too much. And, and that's just the buildup of a lot of static. Yeah. And clutter really takes a toll on sexual energy. Found that like it's it's difficult to have that fire be there when you're pissed off about all of the the you know toys that are on the on the ground or something like that. I mean, it seems like it happens a lot for people who who have young kids as well because that clutter comes in and they're just not ready for it. Yeah, and then there there's just so much responsibility of kids too, and so you don't have as much time to yourself. You don't have as time together to even talk about something because the kids are just as you're spent right a lot of times and it takes a lot of skill to know how to get enough time yourselves discipline the kids or have the right kind of situation so the kids get enough time to do what they need to do to clean up or bring in cleaners because that's the biggest thing i see for couples is they never feel like their house is ever clean yeah like dishes again dishes again of meal again crumbs everywhere and wow we need house cleaners if possible to come in it's just right. crazy so what do you recommend uh for people you know if you were sitting with a couple and they were having this issue well i i try to look for what are uh, the first degree of strategies we could do to create a little bit less chaos and that might be some agreements between the two of them as far as like let's have the kids toys in one room so there's one chaos room and we keep training the kids to kind of bring that room there Two is, can we bring in someone to do food every once in a while, a couple times a week, like little things that hopefully don't cost a lot of money, but relieve them of like having to cook or relieve them of having to do the dishes. A lot of it has to do with conscious agreements too. Like there's sometimes there's these, these um, unconscious agreements about, oh, you know, you made the food, you clean up, but they're not really spoken. So there's an undercurrent of animosity or frustration one another. And so just sitting down and going, well, what do I expect of you and what would work for me? And here's where I feel like I can contribute more. Here's where I just have a no of doing this. I hate doing this. And just having those conversations clear and outward can relieve a lot of what we call the static or the tension energy. Cause you know, the, the, the work and time and energy it takes to go to take care of kids doesn't go away. But our efficiency of how we communicate, how we understand one another, how we relieve our stress and frustrations, we can get really good at that. Hmm. I like that. I heard a good quote. Unspoken expectations are premeditated resentments. Neil Strauss said that. 
I think I saw that on one of your posts recently. Probably. Um, yeah, I like that one. Um, so, and then getting that energy back. I feel like there's, um, you know, we have so much choice in the digital age. Like, it, let's mm-hmm. talk about someone who's single, um, you know, looking for a partner. They can meet more people online in 10 minutes than our parents did in their entire lifetime. And it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Like those first few weeks, mm-hmm. those first few months, you feel like you you really like someone, you're bringing out your best, they're bringing out their best. But then the second one person kind of stumbles or has a rough one or snaps, there's just this ocean of possibility out there. So why deal with that difficulty? And I think that it kind of it has this um, pernicious effect of of continue of of keeping you on the surface, mm-hmm. right? Without really deepening in, um, because there's so much choice. So how do you how do you help people deal with that? You know that is exactly the the world of overstimulation. We want more eye candy, more things, more temporary, like you say, surface quick stimulations. And what's beneath that is actually a hunger for deep, genuine connection often, or quality relationship. And that's where I think all the yoga and meditation is really serving our culture in some ways, is is an option to like put the phone down, sit still, quiet ourselves, and have some way that we, I like to think of it as changing gears. If we're always in fourth and fifth gear on the highway trying to race everywhere, then when we get into a slow place, we're honking at the car in front of us and we want them to get the fuck out of the way and we're cranky and overwhelmed and all that. And we have to be able to change gears in our systems. Otherwise, we don't get to have quality connection with anybody and we don't operate well. Our, our brain doesn't function well. Our nervous system is on fight or flight. We're on this high stimulation reality, which throws off a chain reaction inside of our bodies that ultimately have us start not sleeping well, not digesting well. So the big picture is very interesting in this one, right? This is kind of a, a cultural addiction, you know? Right, that more is better. More is better, and we're still, I think we're, unfortunately, we've been trained to outsource approval and security and happiness outside of us. Fuck, that's a good way to put it. It's outsourced, and so, and it's, and it's because we're, we're all, the, all the signs, all the, like, sexual stuff we see about women, it's like, if you have this, and if you get this, and more stimulation, then you're okay, but ultimately... Being with indigenous cultures, I was just in South Africa and with a you know very quiet place with the white lions, and we were just meditating and being present with them. And the indigenous people, they can te- telepathically communicate with the lions. Like they're they're at a whole other wavelength of tumult, like a good hunter. They sense and feel and hear where they are. And we've lost that a lot of times because of the high stimulation we're at, and it leads to all of these challenges, like individually and then relationally. If I'm looking for my approval from you, then if there's some, if you give me a weird look, I start getting scared, feeling like I did something wrong and generating all these stories in my head that have me ultimately disconnect. Yeah. I was talking to my friend, Mark, who I uh, went on the hunting trip with and, and we were just like, it's just insane how tuned in Axis deer are. And I said, I was like, imagine though, if you lived in the wild since the day you were born and that's the only space that you spent time in think about how tuned in you would be in that environment. I mean, because it seems crazy that they can hear you from so far away, but you would really deepen in. And, uh, you know, I wonder what mental state 
the Native Americans were in most of the time without that overstimulation. You know, as you said, it really um, lowers your nervous, your, your blood pressure and allows you to tune in. You know, that's in some ways, this is a basis of my work because it's the thing that's excited me the most about the world is learning how to be in relationship with nature again. Because we appreciate nature, we see, we love. Like I'll be hiking to a waterfall, you know, somewhere, and I'll have some tourists going, like, "Anything to see out there?" Like way on that thing, and I'll be like, "There's a lot going on out there right. if you really tune in." But we're so lo- like looking for the candy in some ways, and I find that the reason a lot of relationships don't make it is because in some ways we only have the a few spectrums for how we relate, and it's similar to being in nature. If I can only see then I'm not going to experience that much. But if I can listen and hear and smell the air and almost even feel the vibration of the ground, the earth, the the magnetism of what's going on, then all of a sudden my system is so switched on that I'm completely fulfilled by the experience, whether I see an animal or not. Mm-hmm. And, and I think relationally we need to recultivate that too. Like making it applicable now is how do we turn our senses back on with each other in ways that ultimately have us more fulfilled in our own selves and in our connections. So how do you, uh, what do you recommend to couples in that? What I do is I ask couples to drop the words out and be with one another, not just make eye contact and stare, but actually to feel each other from your gut and from your heart and to notice, like when I'm sitting with you, Kyle, right now, and we're having this conversation, I have an option to see you and be listening to you. And I also have an option to kind of just sense your presence, like feel the being you are and, and relate with you on these deeper levels of the ocean between us. And so I teach couples how to do that, that it's really valuable that we've, we turn on more of our natural systems. People could call them superpowers, but they're natural powers, right? Every animal is, is constantly feeling the vibrations of everything around them, and they're responding to that maybe more than anything else. And it opens us back up to more bridges between us where we can enjoy each other's company. Right. How would you recommend someone practice that? Yeah. So... First is to both stop everything and create, let's just say it's 10 minutes. You drop everything for 10 minutes before going to sleep or something. You put your phones away and all that, and you both sit still for two. Just sit still and breathe, feel your own body, bring your attention back home to yourself, like listen to your heartbeat, breathe deeper, use all the tools we're all learning from yoga and things like that. And then secondly, start to sit across from one another and literally go, how much can I sense in response to you? And then just notice the person's body posture, your partner's breathing, notice their eyes with a sensitive curiosity and to train ourselves not to look with judgment, but to look with general like wonder, curiosity, and then add in appreciation. What can I appreciate about you, Kyle, sitting right across from me, like seeing the quality of your eye contact with me, how you move in your body, how you hold your posture, what it feels like to be in your presence. You just literally turn on more ways of feeling one another. And then we can add in thinking about what are all the things I appreciate that you do that enriches my life. And while I sit with you, I set, I create an emotional experience of love and care and appreciation that I can feel like a visceral body, physiological experience inside of me while I'm with you. And that immediately starts creating a bunch of neurochemistry inside of us that allows me to enjoy the experience with you more fully. Mm, I like that. I've been messing around a little bit with the loving kindness meditation and doing one minute meditations around loving kindness where throughout the day, because one issue that I was having is that I meditate most mornings, but then I would find that by the afternoon I would be pissed off and kind of wrapped up in discursive thought. 
And I was thinking like, man, I'm, I'm doing this work in the morning and then I feel like it's just this downhill, gradual downhill uh, into anxiety and, you know, forms of depression towards the evening. Mm. And I was thinking like, okay, how can I have this be more consistent? Like I want more consistency in my mental states throughout the day. And uh, it was recommended to do these little one minute loving kindness meditations where you think about someone who you love and you think about what it would feel like if they got everything that they wanted. Mm. Like if there's something that they really are going after, like how it would feel for you if they got it. And it is profound the way it colors your mind when you think about that in the same way that thinking about, um, you know, financial fear colors your mind you know and that's something that i I think that uh like i I think that financial fear is something that very few people talk about in the same way that people don't talk about like you know open relationships or something because it's just it's taboo Mm -hmm. but it's something that so many people deal with and i and i think about that a lot like just being totally honest like being 29 like moving into now like okay like you know what let's talk about, you know, buying a house and let's talk about, you know, long-term like business and investment and like, fuck the amount of pressure Mm -hmm. that all of a sudden I feel is it's very difficult to, um, to let go and kind of just, okay, well, let's put this in a box. Let's, I'm going to, I'm going to think about this when I can actually do something about it. You know, when I, when I meet someone or when I have a meeting with someone who's a financial planner or something like that, it's, I find that that is one of the most difficult and anxiety producing states. Um, and I, and I, I just don't think that many people talk about what that's like for men in their mm-hmm. you know late twenties and thirties where all of a sudden there's just this new set of responsibilities put there. Um, anyway, yeah, was, well, first of all, that meditation sounds awesome. I yeah. love particularly that it's about someone else that mm. you love having what they want or being fulfilled and, and happy in their lives. There's something beautiful about that intention, not just a self one, but actually one that's really for another and our response to how we'd feel if they're happy. And the other conversation's huge. You're right that this constant stress, particularly because in the last, let's just say, 20 years, the cost of like having a house or paying rent is now like, let's just say, 70% of most people's income. Yeah. Or it used to be maybe a quarter or an eighth to pay your rent or to get a house. Now it's like to have a house or to pay rent, especially in a place like Santa Cruz here, where the cost of living is astronomical in relation to like, let's say, Florida or something. Right. And you're right, that, that that's a constant pressure and stress. And when the there's all kinds of collective fear, too, just generally about the economy and the future of our country and and, you know, just it's just there's the individual stresses. Then there's ultimately we're all kind of seeing like doomsday in front of us, whether you're thinking about it or not. It's in the collective yeah. felt sense. There's you know? no real sense that things are getting better yeah. or that they're going to get better. I was listening to an author named Sebastian Younger talk mm-hmm. about uh, what it was like in the 60s, because there are a lot of parallels between um, the the protests now and the protests in the 60s and this kind of real uprising of, of young anti-establishment thinking. And he said the difference is that in the 60s, there was this real sense that things were going to get better. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel that now with a, you know, a lot of young people, the, the amount of, you know, so there's the financial stress and then there's just 
the amount that corporations have been able to reach their tentacles into your pocket through fees and through you know automatic uh they just you know ding your credit card every single month every single month i think that it just it keeps so many people in um poverty and it, it keeps a um i don't know this is, this is a crazy tangent but i just think that it's something that we don't talk about and that that then bleeds into relationship uh fear got it and i think stress what you spoke about a little earlier about regularly stopping and doing some form of meditative or like I think you said, what you call it, like loving kindness Loving meditation. kindness, yeah. I, whenever I work with people, particularly men, especially a man who, let's just say, has runs a company and then has kids and a wife and he's, he's juggling a lot of balls all the time. None of us have time to sit for maybe an hour or two a day and do a meditation. And it's good to have deep dive meditations like where we drop in deeper at least more than 15 minutes. And yet what I find more essential is I call, I call it like the pause. If you can, if you can pause three to five times a day and just drop everything and change gears, like I said earlier, and slow the nervous system down, slow the heart rate down, deepen the breath, reoxygenate the body. We will start to build our, our life force back up and slow ourselves down because brain cells from what I've read and learned, take up a lot more energy than most of the other cells of the body. So we're spilling and spending a huge amount of our life force, our prana, our chi, through a busy mind, especially if that mind is running on the subconscious on all kinds of fears, like you just mentioned. And how am I going to buy a house? How am I going to have kids? How am I going to afford to do this realm? That stuff can be this insidious, constant drain on our system. But if we take pauses and we consciously, you know, take the steering wheel or take the reins of our energy system and turn ourselves on and create something that creates a positive response in our nervous system, our breath, our aliveness, we kind of break that cycle. And the more consistently we break that cycle, I think we build a certain degree of strength and endurance to handle things more fully. But as soon as we get depleted, it's like the, it's like the, uh, our immune system. If we go down certain low, we just keep getting sick and we can't quite get better. But if we're consistently building ourselves up with good food, good nourishment, enough exercise, enough rest, it's the same thing. Enough positive thinking, enough connecting from the heart, enough high quality conversations with people we love. We sustain more energy and we can handle these huge mountains in front of us without, with them looking a little less daunting. Right. And when they are daunting, it's so easy to reach the junk food, yeah. you know, in the form of like, oh, this is too difficult. I'm just going to get back on Tinder. Because that feels good because you get, even if you are feeling completely overwhelmed and your life is in shambles, you still have the ability to get a quick dopamine hit, Yeah, you know, from like, oh, okay, let's turn on the phone. Let's go on Instagram. I mean, it's, it's crazy how much time most people spend on Instagram and what little value that brings in the form of like furthering mo your career like the i know so many people who have massive instagram followings mm -hmm. and are broke wow because it does not necessarily translate right. I and mean, it does for some people depending on the industry mm -hmm. but um i think that what people get from it is these little dopamine hits oh man you're speaking to it and, and then you can go into porn which is the most pleasurable thing you could do in the sense on, a, on an active physiological experience you know i've been using the screen time thing with my clients now to to have them to do a check-in every week of like, you know what, you know, your phone will tell you if it's an iPhone, at least how much screen time you've had. And so we're starting to, to plan a little like, Hey, let's just do a little check-in. What's your agreement with yourself around screen time. So we have some discipline and accountability 
that we have some conversation in the back of our mind of like, how much time am I really looking at Instagram and should I be doing this or should I be like making myself a good meal or turning on the music and listening to some music and moving my body and doing something that's more enjoyable than doing another post right now. Or like filing my taxes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something I have to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or play with my kids. Right. <laughs> I'm sitting on my phone and they're trying to get my attention. And if right. I'm not giving them attention and there's so much fulfillment and connection that we're not harvesting. Hmm. And where you're right, it's so it's seductively easy to go to a phone and look at the next Instagram post and whatever it is or Facebook, and yet it, there's no real fulfillment in it, like you're saying, right? And, and no no guarantee either for resources to come through it. Right. One thing I think is great about the digital age um, is that you do have more options to meet someone who is more like you and could be a better partner. Because if you think about the other option, you know how our parents met each other was to go down to the bar. I mean, that's how we do do it too, but it's just a very small pool. The idea that you're going to meet your, the love of your life, you know, and she's going to be one of these 14 women at this bar. It, you know, you just don't, don't have a lot of options there. Um, how would you recommend someone? As, as I said, I think that it's really common that um, someone, you know, a guy meets a gal, they're excited about each other. They're in the first few months, and then it's very difficult for them to shift into the next gear. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like the clutch is sticking at that point, and then they just want to go get a new car. What are the conversations that you would have with someone like that? What are the questions that they should be asking themselves or their partner? Absolutely. You know, the thing I see with Tinder and all that, it's almost like buyer's remorse a little bit. You know, let's say you got bought a Porsche and you're like, ah, right. oh, shit, I should have got that model and set up. Right. You get it home, you're all stoked. You're like, oh, but what about that one? That, that Porsche one had the red leather seats. Uh, right. <laughs> Man, the Porsche looks so much better in the photos. Yeah, yeah. Now that I bought him, like, huh? I, I invite people to also not multi-date. I'm not a fan of like having four conversations with women going on. You know, if you have a connection with someone, give that some real attention and it's a that takes some intentionality and discipline because it is okay what else is out there well maybe this one's more and and then be get really good at listening to your intuition of like is this person a yes am i feeding am i feeding the right garden right here with this person and and to give ourselves permission to really access something in us that's listening beyond our like what do they look like what do you but like tuning into our senses more fully because a lot of people get into relationships and they've gotten these red flags that they overrode Hmm. And they stayed in for a lot of reasons. I see this a lot with couples like, hey, I kind of knew that he was drinking too much. Even when we started our relationship, he was like drinking every night. And now it's like a real problem. And I overrode it thinking he would grow through it. And but there was a message inside this woman that, that he he, you know, he's got a drinking issue. And if he, he, she never confronted him on it early on, like, hey, you know, I noticed that I'm not really going to go deeper with you in the relationship because I get this sense that you're drinking more than more than you really that's healthy. And I don't think I want to invest in you in that way because relationships an investment. It's an investment of our time, our energy, our focus, our connections. So I tell men often, and I would tell us to women too, is to turn on your radar loud and not the judgment radar of like, are they perfect? Do they have to make enough money? How do I feel in their presence? Is it an upward spiral for me? Do I feel more energy? Do I feel more aliveness? Do I feel in their, in the, in their, just when I'm with them that it's easy to be in conversation, playful? Do I enjoy them? And then when some, when the first conflict comes up, could, did we navigate that well? Did we, you know, did we, how did they handle that? Did they shut down completely and see me completely as their enemy and make me wrong and do all kinds of projections like they did to their last partner? So, so watch those things and have your eyes wide open. 
And if we do that and we really do that well, we don't need to keep checking for next the next three other women that are available on Tinder, you know, that we can look at. If we really give someone enough time to build something and grow and pay attention, we can save a lot of energy and time that could be dispersed too loosely. Right. How would you recommend that someone go into that conversation? Um, I think that we really get what we tolerate and it never feels like a good time to have those conversations, especially the kinds of ultimatum ones where, you know, hey, you're drinking too much and I'm not going to continue to Mm -hmm. invest in this relationship if this continues. Uh, Like that's a tough one and you got to be standing with your two feet on the ground uh, if you're really willing to have that. So I, I think that a lot of that probably comes back to self-confidence and mm-hmm. self-knowing to even be able to stand your ground, um, which isn't taught in school. Mm-hmm. So teach us, Shems. Yeah, this is it. How, you know, we're all on the leading edge of humanity, right? In the sense that we got, we're on the fast track of having to learn and grow fast. So one of the things is like anybody listening, it's like, all right, let's get really conscious about how we do relationship. So one of the things about conscious, I'm going to be authentic with you. I want to have agreement that I can share what's going on for me, but I wouldn't say it like that. You're drinking too much, so I don't want to be with you. I'd say, hey, I notice I feel some fear about how often you drink, and it has me a little concerned about like the future of how, like whether this is the relationship I want to put my time into. There's, see how it's entirely different? I have some concern, and I'm curious, how do you feel about your drinking? Do you, have, do you get that sense sometimes that you might be drinking more than you really want to be? And is there anything that you're avoiding with that drinking instead of facing into? Right. It feels less accusatory and yes. more... Like a statement that is, uh, what's what do you always say? The inarguable truth. Yes, it's inarguable that that you are feeling a certain way. Like in my stomach, it makes me feel tense when I see you. You know, wake up and do a bunch of cocaine and yep. have sex with hookers right in front of me. You know, I just feel <laughs> a little bit in my belly. You know, <laughs> I notice I want to vomit and run away. Con- constipated. It was cool the first few times, but <laughs> I thought it was a phase. You know, if I were to let's just say I was teaching a, teaching a dating class, let's go. I, mean, I want to raise the bar on how we all do it. I would say three things. One is I'd say, let's commit to each other that we're going to be honest and we're going to be authentic with our experience. Number two, let's learn to speak what I call the unarguable truth, which I learned from Katie Hendricks. Getting Katie Hendricks is it not just our thoughts and stories, but like our experiences. I notice I feel a little scared. I have some emotions happening. I'm, I'm frustrated with how we handled that or what happened or, or I got homework and I'm just really, I'm just angry and I'm frustrated about what's going on right now. It's not about you, but I just name it without making a bunch of story. And, and three is that we get really clear on what we want. So if I'm dating someone, it's like, what I really want is I want to have high quality connection with you. So I'm going to keep recommitting to doing what, what it takes to have that. A lot of times we slip into relationship and I say slip because we just kind of slip into the unconscious and we repeat all these collective patterns that we've learned and what everybody does. And it's just full of bullshit. It's full of avoidance and lack of honesty. And then we're wondering, then we're talking to our friends about the person, but we're not telling them what we're thinking. So there's all these conversations kind of below, below the waterline of our awareness that aren't really happening. And then we have build up the static pretty quick. Right. Yeah. Then your best friend becomes your therapist. Yeah. Or just your ally in making the other person wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's how you can tell if you have a good friend is if they're just always agreeing with you. Like, yeah, bro, she's such a bitch. That's yeah. not a good friend. But if you have yeah. a friend being like, hey, man, you should talk to her about that. That's a good friend. Hell yeah. Or what's really going on for you? And why Why are you in this then if you're going to complain about her? Right. What's going on for you really? Like, what are you doing that 
know, just to confront each other in healthy ways that help us grow. And this is a great like movement into men's work in some ways, is I think our evolution as men together and as friends and as bros who go out, hang out and shoot pool or watch a football game, we have this realm of learning to actually be a little bit more potent with one another, not with the jabs and the like jokes and, and that, but with, with the, with the sense of calling each other out and being radically honest, but also challenging each other in good ways that invite us to step more fully up in our work and our relationships and to get out of complaining and judgments and into living more fully. Hmm. Um, I want to, I wanted to go and get into this, but I wanted to backtrack just a little bit on, um, I had a, burning question for you as you were going on that great monologue. Um, I'll think of it. Get, let's get into the men's work stuff. Cool. Yeah. I, I feel I have this passion cause I, I think growing up in our culture, I've, I've, I've been challenged with the, how men relate and I haven't liked it most of my life. Even though I like to be a guy and go hang out and watch football and the Super Bowl and all that, there's a certain way that a lot of the ways that men relate, I don't like, and I never have. And, and I like being powerful and macho at times and being playful, but overall there's this undercut often of men kind of like fucking with each other all the time, pushing each other and, and underneath is these jabs to knock each other down. And I'm real excited about a new movement for men where we're really looking for each other's strengths and challenging each other on our edges and with a place of love and acceptance versus kind of trying to one up each other or be better. And I call it this, this way of living that's more like power through rather than power over. And our whole system right now of like, whether it's political or corporate, is a power over system. And I think the evolution for us as men and as women and all around is this power through that. Like my best intention for you, Kyle, is to be shining as bright and having the biggest impact on the planet you could have. And if you shine way bigger than I do and you're massively successful and all that, hell yeah. And I want to live a way where I'm not feeling undercurrent that I'm jealous of you if you're more successful or you have a brighter, better girlfriend than I do or you make more money. I want to live in a place where like, I, want to, I want to feed you to be the best man you can be. And I want, I want to stand for that as far as what we're creating as men together. And it doesn't change anything. We all do the same things, but it changes the intentionality of how we connect with each other when we're together. Right. So how do you recommend someone does that? Because um, going back to what you were talking about with you know financial fear and relationship fear, I think it's really easy to get jealous and feel like you're in this famine mindset when you see someone else who is more successful, has more money and talks about it, you yeah. know, because that's another thing that I fucking hate with dudes is, is guys who wear their paychecks as necklaces and, and, you know, want to talk about, you see that so much in LA. It's just Mm. part of the, the culture there. Whereas I feel like in other places, you know, where like Maui or Santa Cruz, it's more ingrained into the culture just to be more mellow, not as flashy, Mm -hmm. but, uh, yeah, in LA that, that culture is just crazy. How, how willing people are to, you know, brag. Like, it's like, Oh, I, I love what you just said. That reminds me about what I was going to say about myself regardless. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. I, I love to think of that as a bit of a game as, as like, and what really lights you up other than how successful you are in your world? Like what, what are you passionate about? I hear like asking questions a little bit that invite that person to go a little deeper. And that's one option with that. But you're right. It's, I would call that out sometimes too. If I want to have a relationship with a man who's being that way, I'd say, Hey, I noticed you speak a lot about, you know, your successes and, and all that. And that's wonderful. 
but it doesn't have me really know who you are or what you're doing. And if I want to have a real conversation with you, I want to know like, where are your challenges? Where are your edges? Where is the place where you are afraid that you're not going to be successful or that you're not going to get your next music movie job or, or, or career thing? Like what else is going on you below the surface? And, and as men learning to invite each other to be more fully honest with our, our strengths, our places where we're shining, and where we're successful, but also with like, where's the edge right now? Like, fuck, man, I, with my wife right now, I'm feeling like I might be failing our marriage because the sex isn't working and I'm not able to show up this way. And like, I'm scared about this. And, and the man not going, okay, we'll, we'll fix that for you. But more like, wow, I hear that. Ah. And invite each other almost to stay a little bit longer and just letting ourselves see each other in where we're struggling. Not because we're going to fix it, change it, but we're because we're just creating a bit more space to, to shine a light on it. And accept that's what's happening. How do you open up those conversations? You know, it depends on the person, you know, and, and it depends on the relationship we're creating. Fortunately, I've, it's easy for me because I have really quality friendships where we've been, we've gravitated towards that over the years. And I've been in a lot of men's groups and our, my friends and I've done deep work. Now, when I'm coaching someone as a client, I help them learn how to do that with me first. If you get really real with me and I'm listening and I'm hearing and I'm asking the questions, they'd invite it. So how I would do that with someone that I met at a party and I might just say, hey, I noticed that like you're sharing a lot of things about, you know, your successes and all that. And that's great. And I also feel like there's something else in you that I'd, I'd be curious to know a little more about you. What else? Would, if you were, you know, if we were having a deep conversation, you wanted me to know something about you that, that really meant something that was deeper. What would you tell me? Like some inviting questions that almost just kind of redirect the conversation somewhere positive. It's the same thing if like I'm with a man and he's complaining about his boss and his work and why things suck and why the government's messed up and why our president's doing this. I'd say, yeah, all right, all that's true and that's happening. So where are you taking action in your life that feels like it's, it's having you feel like you're com- com- you know, participating in the dance? Where are you stepping up in your life that has meaning to you? What are you doing to to that's just that works for you whether it's a small thing of like writing an email out or what action steps you're taking instead of complaining yeah man it's so much easier just to ghost the person it is right i think that that's uh true for relationships too it's it's hard to have those conversations it's way easier to just stop replying yeah and i think that unfortunately yeah you those people really miss out I mean, and we all have been that person in one capacity or another. And it's like, you know, how long are the people around you going to let you have the food in your teeth? Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's easier to tell someone they have food in their, in their teeth because everyone appreciates that. But it's like everyone appreciates what you're talking about too. They're just less trained at talking about it. Yeah. And you might not at an open party where there's not much room or space to go a little deeper, bring it up. The other thing is like in men listening to this, I'm a big fan of men paying attention to how people are responding to them when they're speaking. So if I'm with people in a group, if I feel like I'm stealing the mic and talking too much and too excited about my last adventure in Africa or something, I might put the mic down a little bit and slow down and ask somebody else a question and kind of, st- you know, step out of my ego and my wanting attention and, and listen a little more and engage somebody else just to, that I'm sensitively aware of whether people are really listening. You know, when someone's listening to you or when they're just looking at you and nodding their head to, to actually just start going, Hey, I noticed I kind of lost you for a moment. Maybe I'm going too much into my stories and Share with me something that's going on for you right now, just to shift it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I I agree, man. I think that, uh, you know, well, definitely one way to make people really like you is you ask them questions about them. Um, And I think that you can do that as a podcaster. I ask questions all the time. And I find that um, 
it's you can lead in with a series of questions and you don't need to be all Tony Robbins about it, where you just confront <laughs> the person. I mean, and he does it great because they're there to be confronted. But if you're just at a party or something like that, I, I think that it can be helpful to just start asking a, per, a guy about their life. And then maybe in question four or five, if you feel comfortable, go in with like, you know, so what are you doing in your life to deal with this? And it's not accusatory. It's just it's it, you're coming at it from a curious tone. Um but yeah, it's, I think that it's um, it's way easier for people to not uh, not confront the person and then just talk shit about them behind their back. That's it. And that's what I'd love to give death to in some ways of us running that. Even in, in a groups, I often say if we're doing that, we're out of integrity. We've gone below the line, which is a term that we use often of like, I've, I've left the place of a conversation that's serving the group. Mm. And, and, you know, parties aren't the best environment, but if you meet someone there that you want to have a further conversation with, then you meet somewhere, you have a call, and on that call, you invite a deeper conversation saying, that's what, I, that's what I'm interested in, my friendships. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's, um, I, I do think that it is shifting. I think that people who, um, as you said, kind of pull on that initial thread with yoga or with meditation, it's amazing how much it's all connected. And I appreciate the way that you talk about this. Like you're known as a relationship coach, but it's you can't um, kind of atomize all of these different sects in our, uh, in our world. Um, in our, in our lives, you know, the friendships, the, the sex, the communication and the relationship, they're all so, and, and our relationship to ourselves, it's all so intertwined. It's true. You know, we're, we're in a living system of relationships with everything all the time. And most of our awareness of it is dormant, not, not all the way, you know, on the surface of, of our intentionality. That's why I think that, you know, the biggest, most powerful thing we all can do is to get very intentional and committed to what we want. And, you know, if you, if you look at like the secret and these things are, they're like, you know, you focus on what you want grows and all that. It's very real. So if we get intentional about, I want to have quality relationships. I want to be not only financially successful, I want to be successful in feeling fulfilled in what I do. And when we have a, we have intention with that, we start to see where we're out of alignment with that. And same with our partners, with a relationship. It's, I'm, in, I'm intending for us to have easeful communication where we enjoy each other and, and we're not necessarily spending a lot of time in arguments and conflict. And when I intend that really strongly, then what's getting in the way of that starts to reveal itself more fully. That's the brilliance of our world is what we, it's just like what, where we go. It's like you make an intention for New Year's resolution to not drink and not smoke. All of a sudden, all these opportunities tend to pop out of nowhere to go join your bro at a bar and have some tequila, right? And you're like, ooh, that would be so right. good. And you just get to go, well, what's underneath that for me? Is my intention stronger or is the need to kind of hang with my bro stronger? What could I do? And you just, we get these opportunities to kind of climb a mountain all the time if we get clear about what we want. Right. Yeah, you ask the why beneath it. Um, one thing I wanted to go back to is, so you say you recommend that people not be in multiple relationships at the same time. Um, so as you know, my close friend, Chris Ryan wrote the book, Sex at Dawn, all about the prehistory of human sexuality. Um, and how would, yeah, what do you think about open relationships and polyamory? So I didn't mean earlier, just so you know, not to right. be in multiple relationships. I was saying if you're starting to date someone, mm. don't water it down with like three or four connections at the same time because it's hard to have the bandwidth 
to have your sensory system on with somebody. Right. It's a whole different story about the realm of poly because if you have a deep quality relationship with someone and it's successful and then you want to explore outside of that and dance with someone else, then fabulous. What I have seen over the years, though, is that most of us are not mature enough and skillful enough in our communication and our ability to process reactivity and emotionality to dance very well with multiple people. It's almost like it's an elite in our culture. Some folks are more capable of that. But from what I'm seeing, most people don't do well in a relationship one-on-one. And then you add another player in that and the jealousy and the reactivity and the uncertainty, it takes up a lot of time to process that stuff. So I do see the potential of us becoming more and more mature in our relational capacity and then having more capacity to have a a new sexual relationship with someone different, but then have a primary relationship with someone that we've gone really deep with, we're fully committed to. I've also watched like very close friends of mine who have been in long-term relationships and open to the dance. And it's almost so hard for them not to to put all of their energy on the fresh fire, on the new fire. And all of a sudden their other partner really feels the loss of their attention and their care and their energy. And that fire is so hot and so new and so fresh and so seductive that they jump into that and then neglect their other relationship. And I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of relationships with all the best intentions and all the best idealism around relationship skills, just having the hotter fire basically end the other relationship. Mm-hmm. And one person's often hurt. And so I know you and I've talked about this quite a bit just on our own when we've had conversations. And I think when we've built a really strong foundation and we really are devoted and committed to our primary relationship, there is a lot of room for us to have a heart connection with another woman and to have a beautiful sexual sharing. And I think it just, it just takes a lot of responsibility and also catching the fantasy of the minds that can start to grow out of that, of like, this one's going to be better. Wait a minute, I could create a whole different life with her if I moved to Sweden and live this world with her because, man, Burning Man is so good with her, right? Just to be able to kind of stay awake and not let the mind start to dream up and create fantasies that really poke a hole in what we already have. Right. Um, and do you, gosh, well, such an interesting topic. Um, do you ever see a, uh, a failing relationship open up and get better? I have. You have. I, I have seen a failing relationships and then there's just so much static. Like we talked about earlier, there's just all these unspoken, there's tensions, there's frustrations, there's overwhelms that they've never processed. And then when they have basically where it's like, okay, we're ending this and someone has another connection, there can be like almost like a wake up call to like what's been good about their journey. And sometimes another connection with another woman or another man kind of, they go, wait a minute, actually, I don't really, I actually really miss what I had with my wife or with my husband. And then, then, then if they get support around it or they're willing to start having some of those conversations to clear the static, they can have huge new openings. But the challenge a lot of times is that I see couples not get support. It's almost like they've got a they've they've been given a um, prognosis that they have cancer, and they've waited so long that it's already started to metastasize through a lot of their body, and so it's going to be really hard to hit it to hit it right, you know, to get it with alternative therapy or something like that. It's most likely going to take them out. And so relationships are very common. People don't get support until they've already built up so much static and frustration and, and hurting of each other, wounding and, and lost the points of connection enough that it's harder sometimes to recover that. And yet when people skillfully get committed to like really being honest and starting to see what we love and appreciate and honor about the other again, we start to rebuild bridges of connection and exchanging of love that can be very good. Right. It seems like it can almost be... 
like uh, near death experience where all of a sudden everything that you appreciate about your life becomes that much more vivid. Yeah. And this is actually a, a, I just actually spoke about this yesterday in a video is that unfortunately we're still in a world where it has to hurt bad enough for us to change most of the times. So whether it's the relationship or whether it's our own like drug use or, or checking out in some way, we don't often get support till we've already gone so far down that it takes a lot of work to get out of it. If we're more proactive about what we want and getting support or taking action or doing programs or things that, that turn us on and inspire us and have us learn new ways of being, we can kind of grow into more being led by passion and excitement rather than suffering. Right. Um, yeah, you mentioned also, uh, that there is, um, uh, gosh, what my brain's not working very well today. Um, you were mentioning that, uh, that going back into a relationship after, uh, after, man, just keep going. I'm going to, I'm going to think well, you know, about let me, this. Let me share something that's yeah, been interesting. Thanks. I've had, I've had three men in the last two years reach out to me because they're having an affair and the woman they're having an affair with gives them a copy of my book, Empowered Loving. And they reach out to me and I end up walking them through, how do you navigate your life from here? And, right. you know, and two of them, their, their marriages were pretty much over. They were already way on the way out. And the third one, I've had him helped him kind of like, you know, back off from the affair a little bit because right. his bigger commitment is to be with his wife and then start to turn towards her and really create what right. he wants. It's been really awesome. Thought about what I was going to say. Um, wounding. You said that there is, it's very common for there to be wounding in a relationship and look, we all mess up. And if a relationship's going to be going for multiple years, there is, there are going to be those points. Um, how do we fully heal those wounds so that then when a tough conversation is brought up, there's a sticking point, the hurt isn't also brought up mm -hmm. and the couple is, is stuck continuing to apologize to each other for something that happened years ago. You know, I feel like there it's, there's, um, not a lot of training around uh, really accepting apologies. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that as a result, it just, it, there, that point gets like this scar that never fully healed. Good point. Well, I think here's the biggest challenge of that is that there's almost more than one degree of wounding. There's earlier wounding from like childhood and family and parents that we bring into our relationships. And then there's what happens between us. And often they get overlapped on each other. So there's the degree of wounding. Let's just say I have an affair and my father also um, left my mom when I was young and for another woman. And so I already have some feelings about that, that maybe I never digested or processed. Then when I, when I have the affair or my partner has an affair with somebody else, it's extra loaded. So the first thing to do is, you know, apology doesn't mean much unless we're giving a lot of space for our partner to really have their feelings and their hurt and to like be with them through that and really make it good. And the way we make things good is by like making a bigger commitment to show up fully. Like in the Mankind Project world, I really like one principle they use. Whereas if I go out of integrity with you, I not only have to clean that up, I have to make amend by doing something that honors you in some way, whether that's like bringing you a gift, taking you out to dinner, like extra making it good by showing that I'm really committed to valuing our relationship. So if I'm a man and I have an affair with someone outside of my marriage um, relationship, I, I can't just go and apologize. Sorry, I'll never do that, honey. Like, cool. Are we good? Yeah. It doesn't really work that <laughs> so way. So sorry. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like, 
babe, I, I really understand your wrath for me and your anger and your charge and your distrust to me. And maybe it even goes further back and I want to create a safe space and maybe get some support for that to get really moved. And then also I'm going to show up 120% now to really make this good. And I'm going to do everything I can to like rewin your trust in me and your love in me. And that's that's just how we have to do it in this world. We have to show how fully committed we are to somebody, especially if we've severed something. And that's true with children. If we dishonor our children or we do something that really is way out of integrity for them, we've got to show them strongly that we really do, that they are our, the most important thing to us in a lot of ways. And we have to do that through our actions, not just what we say or what we buy them, but how we show up for them and with them. And that's a stretch for a lot of us because we didn't have that happen for us. So we don't have it in our nervous system, but that's how I see making it good. Hmm. And I've seen that with, with couples and I've guided couples through that of like, how can you show up more fully that's even outside your comfort? Even if, you know, she's still angry with you, how can you let her have that anger and like, and still make contact with her and stay longer and be with her and give space and not take that anger personally, but let it just brew, move through her, but keep moving toward her. Right. Whereas a man can take a certain amount of anger from his partner or upset with her. And then he's like, okay, fuck it. I've tried too hard. I'm out of here. Like I'll go do my own thing. This is too much versus, Hey, stay a little longer till all of a sudden inside of her, you'll feel it shift. Right. Yeah. And to really acknowledge it yourself when you fuck up like that to, to fully own it with them, but then to fully own it yourself. I think that's a, it's a really hard thing. Yeah. And I think especially Right now, uh, you know, in the Me Too movement where you have guys getting called out, um, like society, we have a really hard time accepting apologies because we don't know when it's genuine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it, it makes it it makes it hard for the person who messes up to ever feel, yeah, ever feel fully accepted again by their community um and ever to f- to fully accept it themselves uh, fully accept responsibility themselves um and as a result yeah you d- it just ki- keeps this open wound that then i think becomes more pronounced as we get older you know like i i've uh i always talk about this like with with bros that like you know like i get older and they say the same age like that kind of mindset <laughs> like you actually don't stay the same it always gets worse. Like you always, it, like, like it always becomes more pronounced, you know, someone who's like a little in- insecure in elementary school. And now they just like, it's crazy. And everyone mm. knows it. It's like, we're always on some sort of trajectory, even if it's just that other people in your life are on a, it's because other people in your life are on their own trajectories. So it always becomes wider or closer together you know like if you're really trying to live your best life and and do your best and and become more accountable um someone who's not all of a sudden that void becomes bigger um and i think that a lot of people feel that with like childhood friendships you know someone who they were really good friends with in fifth grade and now it's like man we you know we don't have a lot in common anymore and it's really hard you know you you notice uh you know, when you get together with certain people and then all of a sudden you just start talking shit about other people, you Going know, like the that. same pattern. Right? Yeah. You know, I think what you started talking about with this too, and that was a really good point in the sense that you see people who aren't doing their work basically aren't really knowing how having healthy, you know, situation to process their emotions or their pain and all that. They, you're right. It gets deeper and darker and they, they have less and less ability to navigate through it. 
the other first part you talked about where we have done something where we went out of integrity or we did something there, what we haven't spoken about is shame. And, and shame and the inner critic in us are very woven together. And I think the history of religion in our country, in our world actually has hugely fed the inner critic and shame where we ultimately feel guilty, like there's something bad about us. And so when we do something bad or we do something out of integrity, we, we basically have something running inside of us like a program that's feasting and making us wrong and making us wrong. And we have to, we have to break that cycle. And that's where real men's work and, and maybe relationship work comes in is we have to learn to kind of get away from this pattern where the inner critic feasts us and we get stuck a little bit in shame and then we don't complete and heal. We don't move on. We don't make peace with the fact that we made a bad choice and it hurt somebody. We live with that and we keep making ourselves wrong for it over and over again and then repeating it unconsciously like someone who beats their wife. They do that. That's the last thing they ever want to do. But the shame and the unprocessed self-hatred around that has them acted out again. And often they learned it from their parents. You know, their parents did that or it was in the ancestry, like in the blood. So we're here to break those cycles and those patterns. And it takes a lot of intentional and conscious commitment to rewire how we relate with the inner critic and how we face our shame. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, there are... um unspoken feelings that people have that like if they fully heal they won't be as potent Mm. um you know you see this with a lot of comedians like they've felt like joe rogan talks about this like he felt like in his younger years like if he became more uh, you know i don't want to put words in his mouth but like if he became more emotionally developed he wouldn't be as funny Mm. you know but uh, that obviously wasn't true um and it tends to not be true, but I think that there's this like dark edge mm-hmm. and this like woundedness that can almost become a seductive part of our identity um, because it makes us feel like we're more interesting. Wow. Good one. Yeah. And I think that's us, us getting, you know, identified as a particular aspect of us rather than this full spectrum of who we are. Because ideally, the more we turn our dimmer switch on, which when we heal, we run more energy through us, more electricity, more aliveness. Ultimately, more colors start to come through us and we have a greater capacity. And that's been my experience going from all kinds of learning disabilities and being kind of the shutdown kid on the playground to like as I've little by little done my work and grown and expanded, I've become a better athlete. I've become more on my point. I've become a better musician. I've like I've blossomed more and more and more. But, But I think you're right. There is this unconscious kind of agreement or collective thing that has us stuck sometimes it's a real commitment that you see people have like i yeah and i'm sure i have my own stuff too that um you know it takes a lot of silence to really notice those unconscious Mm. commitments that you have to um self-sabotage you know you're also naming trauma bonding we can trauma bond with our own traumas inside and then keep repeating them and, and, and believe them to be us. It's kind of like a child who bonds with their father who hits them. They're getting love and attention just coming through an abusive way, but they're still bonded to that person and it drives them crazy. It's like the weirdest thing. Then we go and we relationally trauma bond where we meet someone who still repeats some pattern that, that keeps touching our pain point. And inside our own minds, we're often trauma bonding where we keep repeating a certain like I'm never going to be good enough I'm never going to be successful I'm always going to be this way but then we have a we have another place in us that also knows we can be successful we can grow and we have a motivation but we get caught still 
in the part of repeating the part that limits us. Right. Yeah. Well, I talk to a lot of really interesting and quote unquote successful people on this podcast. And it's, it's always, um, strange to notice like which ones have achieved, um, greatness through that nagging feeling and like mm. they still have that like I'm not good enough like yeah I did that but I really don't you know like they feel like if they fully acknowledge it that they'll lose motivation and then I do meet people also who have become wildly successful and they really love themselves mm. like I, I can attest that it is possible to get there both ways um and I think that it becomes more sustainable if you get there through the love. Like you talk to 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 great athletes who, or or intellectuals, or just you know anyone who's on the fringe, and the ones that have stayed there for a long time without dropping off, mm-hmm. um, tend to do it through love. Like there's mm-hmm. that. Um, you ever see the movie Inception? Mm-mm. Inception. It's like with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, Ellen Page, and it's all about uh, dream states. Mm. And the the premise is basically that they can go into uh, someone's dream and implant an idea in their head. So, like the the idea is that they need to go into this billionaire's brain and uh, basically implant a dream that will get them to give up their father's company right um and they're talking about what the what the premise of the dream is going to be um for this guy so they're like okay well maybe it's that you know we hate our father and it's going to be out of resentment that we're going to give and the uh give up the company and then the other person says like no um love is always a more potent uh motivator than fear like it need the the premise of the dream needs to be I am not my father and I, I love him. And like, because of that, I'm going to go out and be my own person like that. In, because of the, the idea is that they incept this idea in him to give up the company. But yeah, I, I think that it tends to be a lot more sustainable when you go that way with you. Absolutely. And, and, you know, then you start exploring what's true success because we, we live in a culture where success has to be like what you have and how much money you've achieved and maybe even how much impact you've had, but not necessarily the level of contentment you're in or the quality or depth of the love that you have in your heart or your passion. And we see that living in Santa, being around Santa Cruz, you see some people who are super switched on. They live, a, they, they love surfing. They're full of light all the time. Who knows how much money they have or not, but they're, for the most part, they just run on a really beautiful current that's magnetic. And I would call that success. I've seen that with homeless people in different places too, where they've just chosen not to play the game in the world. And yet most of the time I've ever been around them, they have a radiance of heart and energy and a positive. And it's like, well, that guy's doing pretty good considering, you know? Hmm. Yeah. I think that the, um, the whole self-sabotage thing can be really attractive because it requires an element of concentration. Um, I was listening to a podcast um, between a guy named Sam Harris and Peter Atia, and he was talking about cutters. And he's like, you know, I'd, I've never known some someone who they cut themselves, mm-hmm. but I would imagine that what is seductive about that is the intense amount of concentration that it evokes. Um, and I think that, you know, for a long time, I uh, luckily I've never been a cutter, but um, 
I've always felt like if like to become fully present, um, it took a really extreme situation Mm -hmm. for me to get there. And I feel like I'm going on this and and I was just wildly distracted if I wasn't doing something that was physically really intense. And uh, I feel like I'm kind of finally doing this full circle around now where I'm like, okay, well, it's actually more powerful if you can just sit with yourself, Mm -hmm. not in an extreme situation and become fully present through another way. And it actually allows you to become more potent when you are, you know, surfing a big wave or something like that. I love that you're sharing this because I think this is actually a major issue for a lot of us Mm. is that we've gotten so into our heads that we're not in our bodies and we need a lot of stimulation to come home to the bodies. And a lot of times, like with a cutter, for instance, one way that I understand that, and I, of course, don't understand that very well, is that there's a lot of disassociation from past trauma. And disassociation means that we leave our body, we're not in it, we're like out of it because there's something that happened that was too intense, too painful for too long, so we left. And, and cutting can really bring you there and you have to feel, and, it, and the pain is familiar. So there's like, okay, that feels like home base because that, that's the last time I was in my body was when I was in pain. So that's one thing way I understand it. And so to find healthy ways to be at home in our body, you know, through yoga, through meditation, through being still that don't require a huge amount of stimulation is a leading edge for us. Because if it requires a lot of stimulation, then it also uses a lot of energy. And so we are kind of depleting our adrenals and, and running on kind of like, you know, in some ways we're running on our future when we're under high stimulation all the time versus, you know, learning to be pleasurable and simplicity. And this really carries over to sexuality. You know, so many men need a huge amount of visual and auditory stimulus to be aroused and to, and to have a sexual experience. And simply the presence of a woman and her body and her breath and her way of being is the ultimate stimulation. But the wiring because of porn and all the visual stimulation of movies and TV has created a false stimulation that creates a very limited experience of the goodness of sexuality. Mm. And it's similar when you said, you know, polyamory relationships, we can be very addicted to the stimulation of a fresh, new, hot taste of lips and smell of a woman and different being and not be in the deeper oceans of the woman we're with now, like in going all the way to these, these uncharted territories that, that, that really require us to be very at home and relaxed in ourself and in a sense of contentment and deep pleasure that slows down which is what meditation generates and Tantra and all of that. Right. Well, I certainly feel uh, the post-trip hangover. Whenever I go on a trip and I'm you know, surfing or hunting or like there's just a lot of stimulation and I'm feeling super high and then I feel that actually right now. That's probably why I'm having a hard time finding my <laughs> words is because I just got back from an awesome trip. Mm. But uh, I notice myself searching for the next hit as soon as Mm. I get home and everything feels just a little bit more dim. I I tend to feel low and yeah, I am searching for tools. I I think that it probably comes back to doing more of that loving kindness meditation to just, uh, you know, it's rather than crash landing, having a nice, nice smooth landing on onto the runway. That's great. I appreciate you sharing that because I think that's a good one, especially since you live a phenomenal life. Being in your house right now is, you know, a block from, from one of the most beautiful surfing zones in the country, maybe in the world in some ways, you know, it's such a magical zone that I would, if I was, you know, we were talking about, I'd say like, what's in the way of just a walk and smelling the kelp and the air and feeling the ocean and having that be like same, same pleasure as a deep connection with a woman. 
like just breathing fresh air and feeling the sun and the cold getting in our skin because it happens to be cold today, right? That's a great practice because I'm, I'm with you. I find that we can, especially when we have very highlight peak experiences, like when I went heli snowboarding, it was so good. It was so phenomenal that like I got to ski slopes. I was like, man, this is kind of boring <laughs> after, right. after like, you know, deep, steep powder with no turns in front of me and all that. It's hard to compare that to, to the slopes at the time. And yet then a few times I start appreciating all the wonderful things about getting on and off a lift and all that stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I had an interesting experience just this last month when I snapped my arm. Um, I feel like that can be, it was a, it was a fairly freaky experience. I haven't had many injuries where after the fact I felt like, whoo, that was a close one. Like Mm -hmm. that could have real easily been my head. I think that the reason for it was because I suck at kite surfing. I have no idea what I'm doing. So to get flung 30 feet across the beach felt so out of control. It felt like anything could have happened. Whereas if I, you know, I've broken my arm skateboarding in the past, but I'm good at skateboarding. So I never felt like that just complete chaos. Um, And after that experience, a a few things really rose to the top. Like one was, uh, you know, just all the things I'm really grateful for in my life. Another was what are some things that if I would have died, I really wish I would have done Mm. and uh it wasn't like oh i wish i would have gone heli skiing or i wish i would have surfed chopu it was um i wish i would have been more okay with silence Mm. i feel like that's it's and it just kept coming up like that i have lived this life from going from peak experience to peak experience and get to a podcast is a great example it's like i get to talk to so many interesting people Mm. so often i i can stay high for a really long time from that but then I had these big crashes and uh, I ended up, I signed up for a silent meditation retreat because of it. Cause I'm like, you know what? If I, if I die next year, I want to at least know what it feels like to be silent for six days. Awesome. That yeah. sounds like some rich territory. And what a great, I appreciate you even just sharing that, you know, with your audience here, because that's a wonderful, you know, insight into your learning edge which is so beautiful and true for most of us, I think. And I love that, that you were like something in you wanted, I want to actually just feel more like silence and quietness. And, and I like the word contentment. Right. And now you're going for it. Well, I think that there's also this, it, you know, uh, you re- social media really weaponizes peak experiences mm. because not only did you have that experience for yourself, which many times I think like our bodies have this, threshold like they know how high we can get um but then you add in thousands of other likes and comments and and adoration and hate and like psychologically we're not necessarily set up for that especially if you know we have an experience we share it to engender a reaction and then we go on social media without really thinking like okay am i ready for this panel be of of reaction. And I think that that a lot of times can set people over the edge. Like I feel that sometimes, like if I post a photo of like surfing a big wave, then I get like addicted to checking it again and again. It's like you keep that dopamine, just like fill it up again, just fill it up again. (laughs) Whereas like, you know, doing it like a silent meditation is almost like big, you know, as far Mm -hmm. over in that way as, as it gets. But you also see people that, that try and weaponize those experiences, like, Mm. like showing how 
woke we are, bro, is another mm-hmm. way to engender reaction from people. Like I've seen people post about their ayahuasca experiences and stuff. Like while they're there in the Amazon, like, hey, like here I am, like wow. just deepening into myself, this spiritual being, You're like go fuck yourself. Like you are dealing with something that is so (laughs) sacred and intense and personal and you're just giving it away. And I, I really trip out on how much people like I, I made a commitment at kind of when I started this podcast that I don't really talk about my relationship with my girlfriend. Like I I can talk Mm -hmm. about it in, um, in these terms, you know, Mm -hmm. with you or we're talking about relationships, but like, I just, you got to save some stuff for yourself. Mm. Um, and I think that because vulnerability engenders such a reaction from people, it can, as I said, like it can become weaponized and our own self growth. It's, it's hard. I, and I don't know where I fall on this, but I think that there's a thin line between being generous by sharing your vulnerability and having other people be able to empathize with that and, and move through the experience themselves, the, the way that, um, you know, a musician can be vulnerable in their their songs and people can relate to that and using it in a manipulative way to gain audience. Good point. I'm with you. You know, I had this experience over New Year's being at this place called the White Lion Trust and we put away our phones and didn't do any social media and because there's a loss of the sacred. What is, what is sacred? What does that mean now? Because everything can be on video or photo or even Facebook Live anywhere. And it was an awesome practice to spend a week going into the bush with a... And if, and if, for instance, check out the White Lion Foundation if you have a chance because Linda Tucker, this woman, is doing some phenomenal work in Africa that's really worth people checking out. Like the, the first White Lion cubs being born that aren't in captivity. And, wow. and anyway, I could go on for a long time because that was life-changing for me to experience it. The most beautiful part, though, was, you know, being with these white lions and being still and just listening and being in a different consciousness that and I had so many temptations and urges. I want to take a photo of this. I want to show this. I want people to experience this. And I had to I had to back that off in me because I was feeling those impulses, which would have really polluted the experience. And it's like being behind a camera instead of having the experience. And right. I think that's what you're naming, too. I could be on ayahuasca and like sharing some experience. And I, I have to leave something to do that. I have to leave the real full whole experience. And that's what a lot of us are doing, not really knowing it. And so we're kind of living like a a step away from what's really happening right outside of time. And in a way it's more gross. Like I would rather have be the pop star who just in, in an unshameful way lives the materialistic life than I would like someone who claims to, you know, it's like, the nice guy who gets girls by being the super nice guy, but really they're slimy. Like yeah. that's worse than the slime than someone who's like un- just a slime ball and claims it. You know, because yeah. um, I don't know. It's it's a tangent, but I I think that it really um, we don't. As you said, you don't know what you lose when you pull out the phone. Yeah, exactly. And I think we have to open our eyes about that and get really intentional about having time that we create is what we could call sacred where we stop and especially in relationship because it's one great opportunity where we can shelf that thing and what's here what do I feel with you let's 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 have an experience that's not addicted to pulling this phone out you know and 
and and regrow our capacity to be in high quality connection because it's lost pretty quickly. Right. When, I read an article, I think it was in Psychology Today, about the impact that phones have on the relationship because they take away those periods of silence. Like the moment that you're with your partner and there's the silent awkwardness that can give way to a deeper conversation, many times that's when you pull out the phone wow. and it fractures it in the same way that it would fracture this conversation if I pulled out my phone right now. Yeah, and then all of a sudden we're not we're not present with each other anymore. And so then my tense, if you pull out your phone and be like, well, I'll check mine too. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, where do you want to go, man? I mean, there's just so much. I, I feel like we can keep uh, keep talking. But what do you what are some things that you're seeing? You know, common questions that you are uh, getting from clients these days. You know, I I've been getting a lot of questions recently from women. How can I get my man to show up more in my relationship, to like want to do relationship work or men's work and all that too? And that's been an interesting conversation because I've had maybe a dozen reach, women reach out to me on that. Like, how do I get my man to work with you or, or for us to do one of your programs or whatever? And it's just a good conversation because I help women, you know, say, you know, what you want to do is you want to be able to make a request from him of what you're hungry for, what you're wanting, not make him wrong for where he's not showing up but become more intentional about what you want to experience with him and what you're losing when you don't get that. What happens for you is you'll feel maybe a little emptiness in your heart. You'll, you'll miss him and you'll feel like you guys are kind of out of rhythm or out of sync with each other and to get that honest and real. That's been a big conversation I've been having with my wife too because she works with women and I often work with men. And we've been talking about this because there's so many women out that are, that are feeling unmet Ultimately, not that their men aren't awesome and doing work and supporting the family. There's this longing for a deeper level of connection. And, and I don't know necessarily what that edge is for men entirely, but I, I've been trying to create programs that offer that in the sense of like, what can we develop in ourselves so that we can make more out of our relationships with our wives, with our kids, with, with our work and our people we work with for, you know, 60 hours a week, you know, what do you recommend, uh, would be a good starting point? Yeah. A good starting point I think is to read some good books like Robert Masters to be a man. He's been a mentor and a friend of mine. That's a really good book because he speaks into a lot of things about men's work that he is brilliant in, in, you know, sharing about. And the other one he has is called transformation through intimacy. So he's a good author. Robert is a, he's also a very great leader and 45 year psychotherapist. And he has his own shadow history of, of kind of being a teacher who maybe abused his power as a teacher. So there's a lot of gifts in the sense that, that people make him wrong for that, but he's also learned a lot from that. And he brings some of his gifts from that, which I have some respect for. Hmm. That's one step. And then, you know, join men's groups in some ways, whether it's, you know, doing the mankind project, write a passage weekend. So you get to be with a group of men who've created a program and a system that is a really awesome experience. And then, you know, I have a program called the men's passage coming up. There's a thing called sacred sons, Preston smiles, who's an awesome brothers doing men's work, but it's so available right now online to become connected with some groups of men that are having very real and honest conversations, but also teaching skills that help us grow our capacity because in the mainstream, there's nothing that's feeding it. Right. Um, you said that when you were younger, you had learning disabilities. Um, I want to know a little bit more about your, your journey through this and what some of those big, um, n not even so much, you know, the, the, the major, um, 
things that you did, but like moments when you asked yourself certain questions about like, is this really true? Mm -hmm. I think that we can, in a lot of ways, um, choose our personalities. I've been Mm -hmm. thinking about this Mm -hmm. a lot recently. Like we can, maybe not, maybe not personalities is the best way to put it, but we can choose the story that we tell about ourselves and narrative psychology is really interesting to me. Like, how do you, how do you see your past? Mm. Um, and like I said, I think that having attaching, being committed to, um, feeling like there's a part of you that's broken can make you feel like you're more interesting. And I, and that kind of narrative, uh, I'm not saying that you're doing this, but I think that like the idea of having narrative, uh, that yeah, you are broken can make us feel it's, it's easy to, to hold on to that. Mm. Yes. You know, it's good timing because my father had a stroke while I was traveling about two months ago and almost died was intensive care. And I almost had to leave Africa where I was in Morocco to fly back. And so I've just spent the week with him taking care of him and being in my childhood home with nothing's changed. And I was vacuuming his floors just yesterday and having memories of me as a little six year old, like shaking in fear that if I didn't do it right, my dad would whap me you know, would like yell at me and I'd do it wrong and all this like fear. So a lot of my emotional stuff had to do with basically being scared that I was going to do it wrong. And my mom left my dad in the night when I was six. So I had some hard things happen. I didn't understand what was going on. What did I do wrong? Why didn't she take me? All kinds of stories that were there. And I appreciate your question of like, okay, where did I start to question, you know, my own experience? And what was interesting for me is I would have a lot of self-judgment, self-doubt, um, insecurity, and I was a decent athlete playing basketball and things like that. Then I'd meet people every once in a while that would really like me. And so, you know, you're speaking to like, what was the thing? It'd be fascinating for me. Why does this person like really like me when most people I feel like don't have any interest or don't want to be around me, or I'm kind of like the kid who gets a little picked on over here. And I started asking myself that question, like, what's it here? And then I would like, experience this person and see myself through their eyes, which was like a gift. And one of the blessings I think of this world too, is that we magnetize people who touch our wounds, but we also magnetize people who bring out our light, who bring out our gifts, who bring out our realm. And I've been very fortunate that those people that kind of liked me or touched those places in me, turned something on in me and a curiosity and a wonder that I began to find more of those little by little by little to the point where I spent a lot more time with people liked qualities in me than the people who didn't. And that started to grow. And as a man, that was tough because actually it was often women who liked the qualities in me more than men when I was young. And it was hard for me. So I'd feel like I wasn't a part of the pack with men at times, even though like I played basketball in high school and I was a star water polo player. And in, in those times, I still most of the time didn't feel like I was a part of the men pack until I lived in a place like Santa Cruz coming out of high school here and meeting, you know, just a bit more of a ba- different, you know, different genre of men where all of a sudden we're sharing surfing, going out for these awesome wilderness adventures. And And then just finding what lit me up and excited me started having me appreciate my own company. Mm. And I think that's the the big leap for a lot of us is whether it's through meditation or through what we do as an athlete or through what we do with work. If what we do has us learn to like and appreciate ourselves more and enjoy our company, we're on the right track. I like that. What were some of those qualities? Um, That I, 
I love to adventure. I'd go walking out in the mountains out here and I would just hike all day out through Wilder and just get lost and not eat and come back and just be so switched on like this. And people were like, what you, what were you doing? Or I'd go up at dawn and I'd be the first guy in the water at four mile and it's still dark. And I was so passionate about surfing that I'd be in the water at dark and right. people were like, you're fucking crazy. It's like right. cold out there. What about sharks? And, and that I got off on that a little bit and my, and maybe my healthy ego got off on that. We can talk right. about the unhealthy ego and the healthy ego. Healthy ego needs a bit of like, fuck yeah, I'd charge it. You know, a little bit of that. Like when you go out to Mavericks, you got to have some healthy ego to go, I'm going to paddle into a 20 foot monster right now, you know? Yeah. And, and not to not have that healthy ego become your identity, but to become some fuel to love and accept yourself more fully. And that's where a lot of the men you're speaking about, maybe, you know, you're speaking about some men in LA too, who maybe are successful and maybe deep down, they still don't appreciate what they're up to or can't quite love and accept themselves. So they still look for a storyline or a conversation point because they're still looking for approval outside themselves. Right. That's the hugest leap for anybody, man or woman. How do we source our own approval and security and, and self-love and not have that be something that has to come from the outside? Because as an infant or a child, we need it from the outside. We need it from our parents, from our community. But part of the evolution of us as we grow, it's not that we don't need reflection and love and care from others, but over time, part of what we call a rite of passage is that we begin to generate our own sense of approval, like going out in the mountain for four nights on a vision quest. I have to find what keeps me willing to be here. Where are my aliveness is, you know, going, going out and doing something that puts me well outside of my comfort zone. Then I discover where my real true strength is. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. And it's such a fine line because speaking personally, I've always brushed off any of my successes um, because I feel so afraid to come off as egotistical. Like it, it just gives me such a visceral reaction mm-hmm. when I hang out with some of these, you know, like the L.A. types that are just always talking about themselves that like my deepest fear is becoming that mm-hmm. Um, but as a result, I think I've probably had the pendulum swing a little too far to the left where people are like, dude, it's awesome. We're done. Like, yeah, 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 I know, but I totally fucked this one part of it up, you know? And like, I'll just zero in on the one part of something that I did where I messed it up. And, uh, I don't think it's, it's healthy, but it's something that, uh, I think that you have, you've found a really great balance because you don't come across as egotistical, but you're also unapologetic about mm. what you are good at. This is brilliant, Kyle, because what happens for a lot of us, we say, is that you see something in someone that you're like, man, that's really distasteful, like when they're that way. But because you're so aware of it, the, the chance of you doing it is so tiny that you would never do it like that. But yet you swing all the way over where it's almost like there's deflection happening rather than really appreciating who you are and what your gifts are. Right. Well, I think it's, it can be especially magnified for, for me uh, because I have kind of a public persona. So yeah. like no matter what certain people are like fuck you you're egotistical and you know like so no matter what but i and i think that i've been able to kind of keep i mean i don't have it like in large in such a large quantity that there's just you know like millions of people coming at me but i feel like i recognize that like okay that's over there and and people are always going to feel misunderstood but it definitely gets to me when i think about you know when certain friends or past friends have have felt that about Mm -hmm. me you know or like i try and share something that i'm excited about and it comes across as being egotistical Mm. so yeah it's, it's, it's something for me to recognize for sure can I ask you a question about it? Sure. 
Well, after you've had a, let's just say you've had a really successful session at Mavericks and it was, and you dropped into a couple bombs and it was awesome. Afterwards, how fully do you let yourself relish in how good that experience was inside yourself, not with how you talk about it with others? Um, I think that I, um, gosh, I let it, it, it comes out in very personal moments or moments with my girlfriend. Like I, uh, I think that I, gosh, like the, the last big one that I had was after the motherfucker awards. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working my ass off to pull this thing off and I was so close to it that I couldn't really tell whether or not it was a success or failure or what people really f- thought of it the night of. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I went and I got to interview Matt Taibbi, who's, mm-hmm. I would say that he's my hero um, more than pretty much anyone like his mm-hmm. bold precision when it comes to writing and calling out the truth is something that I really respect. And he agreed to be on my podcast and we had a good interview and he said like, yeah, man, that was awesome. What you did. And I remember driving back to the house in LA and just like screaming like, fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> like just like we fucking pulled it off. This is rad. Oh my yeah. God. Like, and I and so I do think that I'm able to let myself get there, but then I also um, pretty easily can slip back into feeling like an imposter, mm. like feeling like ooh, like why am I here? Like mm-hmm. oh shoot, like these people think this of me and that's not real. Uh, so again, I think it's just it's a pendulum, and, and noticing those kinds of thought patterns can be really healthy. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. One of the things I learned with working with Robert Masters and what I do in my men's work, like the men's passage work is that we learn to intentionally celebrate more of what's working and that like, that's something we want to wire in our nervous system. It's like, we're all wired a little bit to lean on what's not going well and where we fucked up and where we're out of alignment and where things, and we don't really lean on to like how good things feel, like how good it is to be in love, to be passionate to be, you know, to have the blessings of this life, like a trip. So we intentionally do two things. We challenge each other as far as what's your edge, how are you facing it? What's going on? But the second is we really celebrate and, and invite each other, to take it in all the way to have this. If you have 20 men looking you in the eyes and going, man, you are making an awesome impact on the planet, Kyle, your willingness to say what you say, do what you do, bring people in. And you're able to let that in and let that land and have a a, a positive experience inside of you or emotional like wave of like, yeah, that yeah. feels good. Yeah. I want that for you. Cause I think that, and that's, I think part of the new frontier of masculinity is that, you know, like I said, we're easy at challenging each other and kind of knocking each other down in playful ways, not always with malintent, but just as a pattern. What if we get really good at celebrating one another? And so it becomes even more safe to challenge each other. Right. Yeah. Well, that's how you can, I think that that's the only way that heckling a buddy uh, is okay is if yeah. they know that it's coming from love. Yeah. And I think that there's um, a problem that we don't tend to differentiate. Like growing up in Santa Cruz was just a heckle fest, but yeah. it wasn't always coming from love. Like you really uh-huh. a lot of times thought that this person hated you mm-hmm. or that your group of friends wouldn't have your back at your lowest. And I think that heckling only works and it only continues to create connection if you know that that person deep down really has your back and would show up for you. 
Absolutely. Um, and I think about that a lot too with, uh, with relationships, how much we focus on the, have tendencies to focus on the bright spots and like, where are we at our highest? But man, like after snapping my arm and having my girlfriend show up for me and like, you know, help me put my shoes on for a couple <laughs> weeks, like th- those low moments and like really being there together when it's dark is, I think, some of the most special, slow, deepening moments that can happen. Like I, uh, I heard um, someone, they're a, a vet, um, say recently that one thing that's really hard is that when they um, are tasked with putting animals down, a lot of times the owner can't handle being in the room with the animal. And it's so sad to see this animal freaking out and they're stressed and they're just looking for their owner in that moment. And um, I think that, you know, it's just so sad to think about that and to think that, you know, the owner wasn't trained psychologically to be able to meet that moment. I feel sad. Just I'm having a memory right now of putting my dog down when I woke up one morning and she had blood pouring out of her mouth and who, yeah, that's a huge one. And it is really unfortunate that the owner can't stay present with that and feel their grief and their loss, that there's something in them that has to check out versus check in. But man, I still feel the pain in me of, of the moment of looking my girl in the eyes while I, they're giving her a shot and like saying goodbye to her. And right. But that's the best that you can do, you know? And that's the, that's why, one of the reasons why I'm so attracted to hunting is Mm. that accountability Mm. is like I shot an animal and I have my hand on its back and like, I'm right here with you. And, and I think that it takes real training to show up in those moments um, because you don't know when they're going to happen. Mm. Um, and, you know, I one thing that I, I just so respect about, you know, the friends that I have, guys like Greg Long, who's a big wave surfer, and, like, that dude shows the fuck up in mm. intense moments, and it's because he's trained himself psychologically mm. to do that. And when you're around those people and you can see, you see that that's possible, talk about stepping into manhood and talk yeah. about really showing you know it's magical when when you see someone who's able to do that or you know be the only voice in a room you know and standing up even if it's really lonely and frightening um i think again it it comes back to what you were saying of having the having your sense of self-worth not be externally located yeah, and, and how do we highlight these men like like superhumans like Greg Lon, who has a lot of capacity in so many different ways, right? As a surfer, as a man, as all the things he's up to in his life, he's a model man. And so that, that that's a man who should be in leadership in our world, right? Because we, we and, and it's true, it, it's his presence is inspiring. And this is my hope for the future of all of us is that men are building hotter fires as far as what they do together and how we create things together, that it becomes magnetic. And instead of wanting to check out at the bar, we're like, there's a fire over there. Look at that. I want to go hang with those guys. Like, wow, what, what are they up to? Because that looks good to me. Hmm. That's what I hope is happening. And even your podcast is that the conversations you're having with really awesome people inspires people to want to, you know, be like that and live more fully like that and show up more fully in their lives, which is awesome. Yeah. Sweet, man. Well, hey, we've been going for an hour and a half, but any uh, anything you want to end on to stomp this landing? Anything? Any questions you think guys should be asking themselves? Um, starting points, you know, the first 
first steps that they can be taken? I'm just going to pitch what I'm doing right now sure. because I have this men's passage come up and I'll be doing it two more times over the next year, which is just an eight week online program with men where we work on these three pillars of energy and aliveness, shadow work and relationship skills. And it's an affordable way for men to jump right into something no matter where they are. And it starts on February 21st. So if you guys want an intro into something that would really have a beautiful impact in your life and give you a lot of experiential, practical things to apply, this would be a great step. Okay. And are you also doing couples therapy? I am. My, my schedule's full for the next two months or so. But after that, I'm doing my sessions. Like I've told you, I usually work with people over three months so that we have time to really grow new skills together, which is my favorite way to work with couples. Yeah. Yeah. And I can attest my girlfriend and I worked with you for a few months over Skype and uh, I was really surprised with at how well it worked. I felt like maybe Skype and doing something digital would remove some element of, uh, of I don't know, vividness, but I, I didn't feel like it did at all. So um, I commend you on all the work that you're doing, man. It's, uh, it's great just to, to know you and uh, to see the response that this last podcast that we did together was was great, man. People are hungry for it. Thank you, Kyle. I really appreciate you having me on and it's been awesome to get to know you and thank you for what you're doing as well. That's our show. Once again, Shems has an eight week course for men starting February 21st through April 11th. You can go to shemshartwell.com to check it out. Uh, also, I'm going to be doing some speaking engagements at universities this year. So if you are listening and you are at a university, uh, hit me up, info at kyle.surf, and maybe we can schedule something. would love to come to your school and meet you in person. With that, I bring you a song called Three Foot Tires and Rising by Opo. These guys listen to the podcast, and I will link to their band page in the show notes below. If you are a musician and you want your music played at the end of this show, you can email it to info at kyle.surf. All right, guys. Have a great day. See you soon. Hollywood and Vine riding three feet high, traveling time and more.